0: everyone this week on life's a beach you might know this lady from the Today show on channel nine and also from nine honey shelly horton she speaks about the start of her career shelly also speaks about the trauma and dramas of being in the media and also rising to the top then we'll have the rest of the show as usual so now let's jump into my chat with shelly This week in the Beach Shack, it's uh, a warm welcome to someone you might know from uh, TV and uh, the journalism world, Shelley Horton. How are you?
1: Hello there, Hoppo. I'm good.
0: <laughs> well, I, I thought I'd get you on to have a chat because there's a story you're telling about that happened recently. And, you know, you're seen on TV, you've seen as a strong woman, you write and, and interview people and you look like you know, this strong person that can handle anything. But tell us a story that there's something that came up recently, uh, and you really struggled with.
1: Yeah, well, I've had—I haven't really had many problems with my mental health throughout my life. I have been pretty lucky, and then I hit perimenopause, and holy cow, it was like it was like being dumped by a wave. That's exactly <laughs> what it was like. I was hit for six. So um, my problem is. I didn't know what perimenopause is. Now, Hoppo, I'm going to put you on the spot. (laughs) Do you know what perimenopause is?
0: No, you'll have to explain to me.
1: See? Hardly anyone knows. Okay, so most people know that menopause is when women get to that certain age where their periods stop. Sounds pretty ideal to me. What I didn't know is for the seven years leading up to that point, your hormones go absolutely batshit bonkers <laughs> and basically you you go all over the shop, kind of like a teenage boy when his hormones are raging. This is like the, the woman's version. So I, I'm i 48 now, but when I turned 47 last year, all of a sudden my periods came back when I hadn't had periods for ages and I I had anxiety and I was very teary and then it led into some depression where I couldn't actually even get out of bed some days. Now, the thing is, all of that, I just blamed the stress of COVID and lockdown because it's very easy for all of these symptoms for you to just push under the carpet a little bit and go, oh, yeah, that's just, it's been a really tough couple of years. But it wasn't until I actually went to the doctor and had my blood work done that I found out that I was perimenopausal and that's very common for women my age and very common. I think it's one in three suffer from anxiety and depression. So, I was very, very lucky in that my husband is an earth angel. Um, I had a first husband. He wasn't. But the first and second one, I did very well with.
2: That's all
0: right. <laughs> I'm on my third.
2: <laughs>
1: you're going to get it right.
2: Too, oh, yeah. oh, one day. <laughs>
1: Hang on. I know you're going to get it right. you get it right. So um, he was really, really good because I – I'm really surprised because I write about women's health and I'm very open with with what I talk about on TV and what I, you know, write about on Nine Honey. I was then really surprised at how ashamed I felt that I had depression and how I thought it could ruin my career because people know me as the bubbly one on TV or or the one who jumps up on stage and really, you know, uh, revs up the crowd at events. So there was like a real stigma that no one else attached to me except for me. And so my husband actually was the one who broke it down and just said to me, you know, this depression doesn't define you. It's actually the chemicals in your brain that are not working at the moment. So let's just go to the doctor and get the chemicals sorted out. And when he kind of broke it down into those simple kind of words, I can't. Again, I bawled when he said that. <laughs> that's
2: what that's what you do, and
1: went and saw my GP, and um, and she put me on like some very light depressants, antidepressants at first, and that didn't really do anything. And so then I was crying because it wasn't working, and then finally after because because with antidepressants you have to trial them for a month and then you have to wean off them before you can trial something else. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a process. And then basically, we found the medication that worked for me, and holy Toledo, I was back.
2: <laughs> and I could
1: not believe that this one little pill every morning just brought me back. Like, I honestly look back at depressed Shelly and go, who the hell was that? And what was going on? Because I'm not, I am so confident and bubbly, and, and I'm so work oriented. I'm really proud of my work ethic and when I had this depression brought on by perimenopause I would do things like I would drive into channel nine and I would do my segment and no one would know that I was suffering because I could fake it for that good half hour (laughs) and then as I'm driving home I'm like well that was useless you're hopeless everyone's going to find out that you're a fraud like this horrible negative self-talk and so um it was really interesting just by now being on the antidepressant I feel completely back to me and again because I have no experience with this I said to my doctor after about three months so right I'm fixed now so do we come off them and she's like oh no 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 <laughs> so, this could be a couple of years and I'm like wow I had no idea and my husband's going oh no you're not coming off them <laughs> <laughs> this is much better this version of you is much better <laughs> So um, yeah, it's been really, really confronting. Um, so yeah, that's been that's been a bit of an interesting journey for me, and I've, I'm now very, very aware of my mental health and my, and that I have to take care of myself a bit more. And I don't think I really took care of myself. I was I I say that I was treating my body and brain like a rental, like I was just like <laughs> flooring it, reversing, <laughs> scraping sides, you know, like didn't really care. And now I just realize I have to take a bit more care.
0: Well, I didn't know uh, what you've just explained. And probably a lot of women out there are going through this and and just think they've got issues but don't really know what's causing it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing that amazes me. And that's why I've decided that I really want to speak publicly about it because I felt so sideswiped. And I feel like there'll be other women who'll just be going, I hate my husband. I hate my life. I hate everything. And I'll just think that that's because they're not happy. And in fact, it could be the chemicals in their brain. I would love to know the research on like marital breakups for women around the age of like 40, 45 or so. <laughs> this is when your hormones are, are like a roller coaster. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy to talk about it. And I think the days have gone by where women sort of just put up with it and, and, I mean, I spoke to my mum. This was a good generational thing. And I was very emotional. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to have to go on antidepressants. and, uh, and I'm going on hormone replacement therapy. And her reply, shit up. We all go through it. <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. That is such a, you know, older generation way of handling things. And I, I just hope by me speaking out, it means that younger women like me Seek help and feel better because it's a it's a rough ride and it can last seven years.
0: That's, that's crazy. It's just something that yeah. uh, I just didn't know.
1: Yeah.
0: Now I want to take you all the way back now to when it started. You started as a crime reporter for the ABC yeah. News. Yeah, was reporting something that you wanted to do, or the opportunity came up and you just took it.
1: No, I um I really loved writing and I was very good, you know, in English and those sort of drama and all of those areas in school. Um, but it was when I went to university at the University of Queensland and I did a double major in journalism and I only studied radio and TV. I knew I didn't really want to be a print girl and that once I actually got into the practical side of things, I fell in love with journalism. I fell in love with radio and TV. And I did pretty well but like so well I topped for my course in radio and so I was offered an internship that was one, there was five of us chosen and we each did one day a week at ABC Radio in our final year which now you'd get paid for or get credit points for but you know back those days it was just a privilege and you know what it was a privilege, it was amazing because we actually got our stories on air, we learnt the systems, all that sort of stuff. So then I kind of felt a bit cocky that I would be like snapped up because I was like number one in radio. And um, here's the thing, Hoppo. Nah, couldn't get a job. Nah, nowhere. Gone. So I ended up uh, leaving Queensland and moving to Melbourne, and that's when I got the job. I actually worked in PR, and what I was doing is I contacted ABC, and I said, look, I know how to do use the edit systems so I can do – weekends and and like all of those shifts that no one wants to do and so they were like great we'll start you straight away because we don't need to train you so I was working five days a week in PR and two days a week at the ABC studios and then it started where ABC said oh could you do 5am till nine on a Monday and then go to your job at nine and I'm like yep no problem anyway so this one day I had um I'd I'd finished my my Saturday, Sunday and Monday morning for for ABC. I I was in with the PR firm and I got a call from the chief of staff of ABC and he said, look, Shell, I know you're at your PR job, but I feel it's only fair. Uh, The story that you covered on the weekend uh, where it was a police officer who was under suspicion of killing his own wife, they have actually now decided, decided they're going to exhume the body and there's a helicopter waiting to take you to the Dandedong Ranges if you want to go. I understand if you can't, but it's only fair. You broke the story. And so I just picked up my handbag and walked out of the office and never went back.
2: <laughs> <So> <laughs>
1: I got in the helicopter because, one, I'd never been in a helicopter before and I was so excited. And we're up in the Dandelong Ranges and basically then I'm, my voice is like the lead story about this, this murder, this horrible murder. And um, so I had to ring my PR boss and I got fired on the spot.
2: <laughs> <So> <laughs>
1: but the great thing is, is ABC hired me the next day. So that's how I got in. And that's how I got into crime. And I've got to tell you, I am one of those strange people who loves true crime. And you know how everyone's into true crime on Netflix and podcasts and stuff now? Well, let me tell you, when you are actually a journalist on the spot at the murder scene, it's a thrill. My mother is appalled that I say things like that, (laughs) but I've seen seven dead bodies and I do not need therapy over that. I am fascinated by it. I was actually asking the cameraman to like to zoom in so I could see, you know, even closer. I'm a little bit of a thicker, really.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you actually enjoy looking at the dead bodies?
1: Yeah, man. I found it fascinating. I, I know it makes me sound like a creep, but it is just, you kind of then feel like you're part of the story and that you might solve the crime and that you might help the police or you might see the one clue. So, yeah, I did that for four years and I absolutely loved it. And it was a tough area to work in. It was very blokey, as you can imagine. But, um, no, I loved it.
0: Well, is it true that your guidance counsellor called you opinionated loud? Maybe that's why you went into the – you (laughs) suited
2: that.
1: Yeah, how's that? Year 12 in uh, King Roy State High and the guidance counsellor said that I was too opinionated and too talkative and I needed to listen more and I wouldn't, you know, get anywhere if I didn't, you know, shut up. And I'm like, or oh, I've just found my career path. <laughs> so now I just give my opinion on TV nonstop. Like <laughs> I would love to go back and find that if I counsellor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you also moved to uh, London in the late 90s to work on TV. How was that
1: experience? That was the best trip of my life so like a lot of uh Aussies I wanted to work in London I just from as soon as I was a teenager it was the dream and so I packed up and moved there without any contacts or anything like that and basically just as soon as I arrived with my my one little suitcase just treated getting a job as my job and I ended up getting a job at a tv station called channel one and it's kind of like news and then it's like 24 hour rolling news so there's there's bulletins every single hour and look they gave me a job because I was keen as mustard and cheap as chips and basically I had a pretty boring role because I was just helping organize other journos and checking the spelling that goes up on the supers on the screen and making sure things are grammatically correct but I was thrilled to be in a tv station but then Ho. This big moment happened, and it's a bit like, um, I don't know, Bridget Jones' diary or something. Basically, the sports presenter was known to uh, get on the nose candy, if you know what I mean, right? And he had had a big night out on the bags, came in, and had no voice. And so he was like really had a scratchy voice. So he did his first bulletin, and he was kind of like, (laughs) and then at the end of it, his voice just went, and nothing would come out after that. So he completely lost his voice. So the executive producer, Virginia Troussard, turned to me and said, Shelly, did you ever read the TV on air in Australia? Read, read the TV news. And I'm like, I just looked at her and completely lied and went, yes. <laughs> I was 24 years old. I'd never even been in a TV station. So she's like, great, you're doing the, the next sports uh, bulletin. So anyway, I was like, holy cow, I can't tell anyone I've just lied. I just have to grab this opportunity. Talk about fake it till you make it. And um, so I jumped into hair and makeup. And, of course, sport is so hard with all of those sportsmen's names and particularly over in in England. And um, so I just sat down in that chair with a a twinkle in my eye. I was shaking like a leaf, but I just sort of went – Strap yourself in, people. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but let's go for it. And, like, the sports bit was only about four minutes out of the bulletin. So, my, I made four mistakes in that four minutes, which is very unprofessional. Uh, but the worst bit was, instead of getting, like, a very a tennis player's name wrong or a you know a sporting team's name wrong, I was just so scared and reading cue that I said... Plymouth instead of Plymouth. I just read it. (laughs) And that caused the switchboards to light up. And all of these people were like leaving messages. And they honestly, this was, oh my God, what year was it? I think it was like 1997, like it was that long ago. But they were saying, why have we got a convict reading the news? And (laughs) stupid kangaroo doesn't even know where Plymouth is, rah, rah, rah. Anyway, so by the time I finished that one bulletin, an actually trained TV journalist had been called back in off the story and basically said, you know, they would finish the rest of the day. So I kind of went home kind of numb, just like, oh my God, I can't (laughs) believe I did that. And then the next day I got into work and the the CEO called me into his office and I thought he was gonna find me. Like, you know, I was terrified. And he was like, so, you read the sport yesterday. And I'm like, oh, it was an emergency. I just had to help. He's like, yeah, we've had a lot of feedback. And he said, but I watched it. And you know how they say certain people have that it factor? You've got the it factor, and I'm going to give you your own entertainment show. So I had my (laughs) own entertainment show in London, 24 years old. I got free tickets to, like, Comedy nights, uh, concerts, movie premieres. It was the dream gig. I absolutely loved it, all because of one big fat lie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> worked out perfect.
1: I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then he came back to Australia and uh, worked for a long period you know, at the Nine Network and, and other various uh, places. So tell us a bit about how that was and what shows you worked on.
1: Yeah, so I came back and I worked at Channel 9 and I got a job on the Australian version of uh, Entertainment Tonight. You know, the. And that was Richard Wilkins of Mari Patani. And that was an amazing job, but I had a bit of a horrible experience with it. And that was that they hired me as a reporter producer. And I'd been on air, like in London for a year. So I was, I was fairly confident. And um, the female boss called me into her office and said, oh, we've decided you're better behind the scenes rather than in front of the camera. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, well, you're, you're too fat for TV. And I was a size, I was a size 10. Like ten size ten is not fat, so I was taken off air for being a size ten, so that was pretty horrific and don't worry, you know, I did what any woman would do if she was told she's too fat. I went home and like ate my body weight in ice cream so <laughs> but i I stuck with I stuck with it, which I now like these days, first of all, they would never say that. But secondly, now I would never stay in a job like that. Like that's ridiculous. But this was, that was 1999, I think. And then I worked at A Current Affair for a year. That show closed down I worked at A Current Affair and chased baddies down the street. And then I just realized that, you know, I was never gonna get the opportunity to be on air at nine. So I went back to ABC and I was a, a newsreader on Triple J. And it was, I had an amazing boss there. Alison Ray, who's still a mentor of mine. And she was just like, you are made for TV. And I'm like, well, I used to work in TV, but, you know, this is what happened. And she's like, don't let that stop you. And so I kind of, you know, got the courage back to start applying for TV jobs and uh, ended up landing a job on George Negus Tonight on the, on the ABC, which I absolutely loved. And from there I got poached to go to Channel 7. I was at Channel 7 seven doing opinion spots three times a week and also doing uh, I got asked to become the gossip columnist for the Sun Herald in Sydney. Can you imagine? (laughs) I was like, why would anyone want to be a gossip columnist? They are hated. But in fact, so I, I, I was lucky because, you know, the Sun Herald was already, you know, losing money. And so they said, we don't, we don't want to get sued. If we're going to get sued, we want it to be BHP front page story and then happily go to court. We don't want a couple of double Bay, you know, people having an extramarital affair causing, costing us money in court. So I, I was, I was lucky in that I was given the brief to do sort of positive gossip, which was because who, who wants positive gossip? Boring. But in fact, you, who's having a baby, who's in a new relationship, who's bought a house, who's got a new job, You can actually get some some pretty good positive gossip. So I promised myself I would only be at the paper for a year to lift my profile, and I stayed six because I had so much fun. (laughs) Oh my god, I loved it. I was just I I worked out that in that six years I went to one thousand five hundred events. That is a lot of champagne, a lot of canapes, a lot of eating without cutlery.
0: Geez, that would have been. Fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. I had I had a saying for some of them: "No Mowi, no goey. So
2: <laughs> if you don't have
1: French for me, then I'm not coming to your event.
0: <laughs> well, you started your first company in 2009 called Door Five Productions. Uh, where did that idea come from?
1: So that was five friends, and we set up our own little production company while we were all working full time. And Door Five was my first sort of putting my toe in the water to doing my own thing and we had you know one great success which was we got a show up on Foxtel which was called Things My Mother Taught Me and it was celebrities talking about what they learnt from their mothers and it ran on Mother's Day. Now the thing is though TV shows are expensive and so we got paid a hundred grand which we was like that's incredible we didn't ever get to pay ourselves because we had to spend all of that on camera crews and and editing and legals and all of this sort of stuff and paying talent and hair and makeup. So after that show was finished, we had I think we had nine thousand dollars left over as profit. And then we didn't get another show up, so each year it just kind of got eaten away in legal fees and this that and the other. So we were left with like five grand, and we decided that we were going to call a quit on. Call it quick on door five. So do you know what we did? Instead of us each getting $1,000, we just blew it one night at Tetsuya's. One night <laughs> of the best <laughs> meal of my life with the best wines. And we had so much fun. The waiters loved what we were doing. So like I was getting them to take photos of us. And I said, oh, my God, I love this wine so much. Can you um, take a photo of the bottle? And so the waiter said, oh, yeah, just take my, take my phone. I'll take your phone and get a photo. When the phone came back, all of the uh, kitchen crew were like, had, a, had done selfies and all this sort of stuff. So we had the best time. So probably not the best financial advice for people, but one way of celebrating four years of hard work. That's, <laughs> the,
0: that's the way to celebrate. Yeah. Then in 2016, you started your second company called Shellshock. So, Shellshock Media, why did that start up? And did that affect, you know, getting so busy? Did that affect your TV career as well?
1: Yeah. So, I was very scared about starting my own business. And, but here's the thing. I've always fought with my bosses. Like I'm I'm a pretty pretty feisty character. I dye my hair red, but I have the temper of a redhead. Um, And I figured the best way to not fight with my bosses would be to actually be the boss. So in one month, my husband, Darren and I, so we moved house, we got married in Mexico, we both quit our jobs and we started this production company. And I've never felt so sick in my life. And at the time, I was working at Channel Seven, and so I had three days a week at Channel Seven, and then I had the extra production work that our our company was doing. And then I got the call from Channel Nine, saying we want to headhunt you. We want you to come over to Nine. And of course, I had PTSD from them calling me fat 20 years ago, and I was just like, I can't go back there, you know. And my husband was just like, and my agent was just like, take the meeting. Like, you can always say no. You know, you can have your moment like, you know, um, pretty woman, like big mistake, huge. You, you missed out on me. But in fact, what happened was I got in there and I realized, even though I had that bad experience, it was 20 years ago. The culture had changed. The people had changed. And I was welcomed with open arms. And it turned out to be the best career move I've ever made. And having to kind of get over that past trauma has led me to realize that now being on TV is not about being a size 8 blonde. It's actually about what I've got to say, my brain, the fact that I can tell a story and, and have a joke. And so now I do spots on Today Show and Today Extra and then they invited me to be uh, one of the columnists for Nine Honey, which is the women's website for Channel 9. And then from that, they asked me to co-host a show called Talking Married, which was a spin-off show after Married at First Sight. Because you know everyone loves to hate Max, and I'm the same. Like, it's it's just my favourite show, and I still, you know, kind of hate watching it because you, you hate yourself for watching it. And so I, I hosted, uh, I co-hosted that for two years and then I hosted it for a year. So, in fact, being brave and taking the opportunities and not holding myself back has been the absolute best thing I've ever done.
0: Yeah, it does uh, sound like that. You've, you've taken the risk and the risk has paid off, and, but a lot of people don't take the risks in their life, in their career. Yeah.
1: It is, well, there's a the thing, it, it's a risk. It could have backfired. It could have been terrible. If, if Seven had found out that I was having a meeting with Nine, they could have fired me just for having the meeting, you know, and I had a brand-new company with no real income, so it could have been a disaster. But, no, I have never been happier than at Nine, and I, I honestly feel, again, I've found an incredible mentor and, and a female boss in there called Kerry Elstub. And she has just been one of those incredibly supportive women who has helped guide my career and encouraged me and encouraged me to take risks with things like she got me to host a royal, pod, a royal um, TV show about, about Diana and the 50 years since she had died. And I honestly was like, what, me, what? And she's like, yeah, of course, you'd be great at it. And we did it. And it went so well so, yeah, sometimes you need someone that's a bit of a cheerleader in your corner. So, yeah, it's worked out really well.
0: You've focused on women's health over the course of your career. So why did you do that? Give us an insight into the experiences that you as you went through that.
1: Yeah, so I think that it's always just been a huge interest for me. I wasn't a particularly healthy kid. I had um, lots of surgeries when I was young. I... I I wish people could see this, but I'm missing the top of my finger. Right, you yeah, wow. see this here, yeah. So um, that was an accident when I was two and a half. I got caught in the washing machine. Um, and I just think I've just always had a, a huge interest in women's health and particularly why it seems to be a bit more taboo. And then I made the decision not to have children. So to be child-free by choice is quite taboo or it was when I decided to do it 10 years ago and I've just found that when I'm open about health challenges or mental health challenges that I actually get a huge response on social media like my followers love that I'm perfectly imperfect you know like I'm a normal person shit goes wrong all the time and then great things happen so I think that they like that I don't photoshop my photos and make everything look perfect and i think that that's something that's been has has fueled along the way and then recently hoppo i don't know if you saw but i did this thing about ocean therapy have you heard about that Uh,
0: i I, I did see you do that yeah Yeah. uh,
1: so let me tell you about it because i think it's so interesting and there's so much science behind it so i was uh i I'm living in Queensland now, but I was stuck in Sydney because Anastasia Palaszczuk locked me out for 37 days. So I had been sort of couch surfing and finally got an Airbnb in Bondi and a girlfriend of mine, Heidi Sayers, who actually works at mine, she had started this group called Ocean Therapy Global and it was all to do with that you've got to jump in the water. She loves surfing and I can't surf, but she's just jump in the water and it will help your mental health and I'm like I was feeling pretty down I'd been away from my husband for nearly 40 days and I was I was just a bit frustrated with everything and so she got me to come down to Bondi and it was cold and rainy and miserable and I'm like this is torture this is not going to help me this is ridiculous anyway she's like it will I'm telling you you just the rule is you have to run into the water and you have to put your head under three times And then you can run out. And so I ran in screaming and I put my head under three times. And then my skin was like stinging. It was so cold. But I felt so much better. And then I kept doing it. I was doing it every day while I was down there. And I just couldn't believe the improvement in my mood and my health. So I interviewed a psychologist about it. And this clinical psychologist said, that when you actually go in and force yourself to go into cold water, it is something that psychologists have been using for with patients for since I think like the 1920s. But they used to get patients to put their face into an icy bucket of water. So it's a very similar thing. And then you've got the positive ions you know when the waves are crashing and that's like a really pure form of oxygen which is why I think a lot of people use a jump in the sea as a hangover cure because you get that pure hit of oxygen and then there's also the psychologist said it was it's part of um, we can do hard things so even though I didn't want to do it and I forced myself to do it you then have a feeling of accomplishment of like I did that. And so you kind of feel a bit proud of yourself. And so I'm now in home quarantine in Queensland. I've got another uh, nine days to go, but I'm going to bring it back into my life and do ocean therapy every morning with my husband.
0: Perfect. And uh, I know know exactly where you're coming from because I've grown up at the beach. I work at the beach, you know, just about every day of the week and watching the ocean makes it so good and calms me and also jumping in the ocean you do feel that so good when you get out
1: have you ever like helped out a mate who's struggling a bit mentally by taking him surfing
0: yep it's plenty over the over the years you take him out surfing or just take him in the water or or even just swim uh, across the bay one lap and uh there's been plenty of people with mental health and they've done it once they've broken that fear next thing you know they're doing it every day and they're loving it yeah
1: it's, it, it is. I think it's going to be like my new addiction, <laughs> but it's a positive addiction.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you've been very successful in your career. Is there anything you'd like to still do? You know, you've had a great career. Is there something mm. that you really want to still do?
1: You know what I want to do is I would love to be, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, but I'm not really a celebrity enough. So I've got to work on getting <laughs> a bit more famous but I just think I would love the challenge of that. Uh, or I'd love to do like Dancing with the Stars because one, you'd like get fit and lose weight. And two, it would just be so much fun because I love sequins. Unfortunately, all of those are not on Channel 9. So <laughs> maybe I have to wait for a reality show that's suitable for me on Channel 9. But I've I've always wanted to do that. And then, you know what? I'm actually at that point in my career where I'm pretty darn happy with where I am. So I've, I'm not setting massive loft, you know, lofty goals of I want to be the next Sonia Kruger or anything like that because that's not really my dream. So I'm pretty happy, but I just I wouldn't mind being, doing something that challenges me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Shelley. That's uh, perfect, perfect.
1: Yeah, no worries.
0: <laughs> At the end of the interviews, I do um, a segment called Five Fun Facts so yeah. I'm going to throw these five questions at you. You can answer them any way you want. Okay. Uh, there's no wrong or right answer. So okay. you ready?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: <laughs> what is the most unprofessional thing you've seen someone do?
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to dog myself in.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so um, I was a TV reporter for ABC Sport covering the Hopman Cup tennis over in Perth. And I think the year was uh, about 2006. It was the first year that Novak Djokovic was playing. And it was always over New Year's Eve. And so you first, the first games were always on New Year's Day. And so I'd done it for a couple of years. And then for some reason, I decided that drinking excessively would be a great idea <laughs> at the Hopman Cup Ball. Everyone normally would like go to the ball, be quite polite, and then go to their rooms because they got to work the next day. And I got so drunk that I ended up doing a nudie swim in the <laughs> fountain outside the Birdswick Casino. <laughs> and the next day, my bosses at ABC called me into their office and they said two words, and I thought they were going to say, you're fired. But in fact, they just said, security footage.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just so happy that that happened before social media. Otherwise, I would have been toast. And, and it was also then all the players knew about it and they were all teasing me and even, you know, tennis great Fred Solly, he was live on air and one of my stories went to air and he said, you know that Shelley Horton, she just reveals more and more of herself every year, you know. <laughs> so it was a big in-joke for the whole time, but um, not exactly professional.
0: <laughs> what song do you have to sing along with
1: when you hear it? Okay, I cannot sing. I, I think that I look like someone who should be able to sing, but I cannot sing. But my number one song is Dolly Parton, Jolene. But at the moment, because I'm in quarantine, I've been singing quarantine, 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 <laughs> quarantine. <laughs> so, yeah, that's me.
0: <laughs> what are you most proud of?
1: Um, I think I'm most proud of the fact that I created my career without getting a leg up in any way you know i i'm from kingaroy in country queensland um i didn't have a a rich dad who worked in the media i didn't have any contacts so everything that i've achieved i've achieved through bloody hard work so i'm pretty proud of that
0: cats or dogs why 100%
1: cats are gross cats don't love you dogs love you that's so simple I've got two rescue puppies Mr Barkley and Bella and they are the loves of my life and I do not understand cat people who only get affection when they're you know feeding the cat it doesn't make sense to me
0: you can have one secret video audio feed from anywhere in the world where do you put it
1: this is a um First thing that pops to my head is Prince Andrew. I want to find out if he was actually guilty. I want to hear what the Queen says to him. I want to hear what they all say behind closed doors. And I kind of want him to go to jail. So, yeah, that would be that. That or, you know, something that gives me like the lotto numbers.
0: (laughs) I wouldn't mind those either.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that would be handy.
0: Well, Shelley, thanks for coming to the Beach Shack and uh, sharing your story. It's been fantastic. And I'm sure what you've uh, mentioned, it will help a lot of people out there and a lot of women uh, that are dealing with the issues that you were speaking about.
1: Thank you so much, Hoppo. And I'm so glad you gave me a chance to talk about it on a bloke show. It's
2: perfect.
0: <laughs> now let's go to Beach Banner. Okay, this week in the Beach Shack, it's uh, a welcome to Brad Rope from Maroubra Lifeguards. Ropey, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, happy to talk. (laughs) Mate, uh, I hear you've got a little bit of um, history with uh, Maxi over towards South Maroubra there, and I thought I'd get you on and and, uh, talk about that because he's started with us when he's about 16, but I think
3: uh, the early days, let's get some info on him. Yeah, well, look, I've known uh, maxi He must have been 10 or 11 years old. You know, he's a South Marooba nipper, and obviously me working down there, you know, I had a lot to do with him growing up. He'd be one of those little grommets that would just hang by on the flags. You know, if I'd be whistling swimmers into the flag there, he'd be there pointing them in, you know, after, after he'd done his nippers. Um, so just a, a real cool, you know, little character as a kid. And um, I actually... I think you know we'd be dealing with board riders, and, and he'd be standing right next to us, you know, and and he was actually a really good chat, even though he was ten or eleven years old. He, he was literally like, mate, um, not just in like not, not not just asking us questions about lifeguarding, but just asking us about life. And it's like as if he knew he was going to be a lifeguard from ten years old, and he, he knew he wanted to get involved in the fire department and 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 everything like that. But one incident that actually comes to mind was okay. um, I remember seeing this young girl and Maxie's standing next to me. I think we're there blowing you know, blowing the whistle, keeping everyone in the flags. And Maxie's standing next to me, and next thing I just hear a scream and there's this young girl screaming out for help. And um, so there I am, get the shirt off, got the board, just about to paddle out, and then Maxie's screaming out, Ropey, Ropey, do you want me to come? Do you want me to come? I go, No, you're right, mate, stay on shore, stay on shore. But little did I know, I'm paddling out, you know, racing to save this girl's life. And he's next to me racing me to the patient and you know obviously I've got all my all all the boys watching me you know and so I'm not only racing to save this girl's life but I'm racing a 10 to 11 year old kid on a nipper board to make sure that I get to the patient first and you know he's obviously you know he was a state board paler and stuff like that in the nippers Um, I, I believe we got there at the same time but it was just hilarious that I'm sitting here racing a 10 year old kid to a patient. And I think i got her on and as I'm paddling her in, he's calming her down and saying just, you know, he was paddling next to us and telling her to stay calm and you're doing well and stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's an amazing character and he, and he's done so well, you know what I mean? I'm so stoked and you know how well he's done at Bondi and and now on the fire, he's, he's, he's an asset to any service that he's involved in. And, I really think the most ironic thing now, you know, is I've got kids of my own and he's, um, he's writing children's books, you know what I mean? So it's like I'm reading children's books that are written by Maxie to my kids and I've known him as a kid, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it, it's an amazing ride and he's done so, so well and I'm, yeah, so stoked how, how well he's gone in life.
0: Yeah, mate, he's done well. So that might have been the the spark, mate, to get him to be a professional lifeguard because he, uh, yeah, he's loved it. He's come on well, and he's, as you said, he's uh, he's got a lot of experience as a lifeguard, which then helped him get to the fireys, and and now what he brings back to working as a casual lifeguard from the fireys, he's uh, really matured and uh, doing very very well, especially and the books, as you said, the, the kids yeah. books are, are going really well.
3: And he's a hype character as well, you know. You've got a couple of them over there, Hop. You've got, like, Harry's and Maxie. And they're both, you know, 100 miles an hour, mate, you know. Yeah. yeah absolute legends. Yeah, so stoked yeah. for them.
0: Mate, it's great, and it's uh, great uh, to have you in the beach shack, mate, and telling your
3: story. Sweet as, Hop. Yeah, happy to talk, mate. Legend. Cheers.
0: Now it's time to have a listen to the fans in the mailbag. Okay, this week's mailbag is from Brooke, and the question is, what don't you see on Bondi Rescue? Well, pretty much uh, when we film, we film in a, a, a block over December through to February, so the main part of summer. So pretty much outside of that, you don't see... Um, a lot of things that happen at Bondi uh, a lot of stuff that we actually do in our in our training and, and building up for the season so that's something that uh, most of the time you don't see we just touch on that with the TV show it doesn't go into depth on, on our training and uh, how much that we actually practice on the boards and jet skis and all our first aid and all the resuscitation that we constantly do it's a repetitive thing that's constantly happening so that's something that you don't get to see as much on Bondi Rescue thanks everyone for listening remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions comments or follow us on our social media channels which you can find in our show notes that's it for today Beach fans stay safe and swim between the flag